0: Hey, welcome to Details. I'm Nick.
1: And I'm James.
0: And we're two industrial designers in the big city sweating the small stuff. It's a little hotter this week. I don't know what it is. Is is it? I think a bit. Yeah. But it's starting to cool down.
1: You're hotter this week. (laughs) Oh boy. (laughs) Because your iPhone X has.
0: Yeah, my my beauty boy filter. It's making (laughs) me look beautiful.
1: Nick, (laughs) Nick, let's talk about another really hot designer. Yeah. We're just jumping right into it. I'm just jumping right into it.
0: <laughs> we we uh we're recording pretty close back to back. I think what we recorded Friday and today is a Tuesday. Five days. Yeah. We it's... didn't do anything this weekend. We just lounged
1: around. No. No updates.
0: No. Well, well, not really. Well, well, I missed the update last
1: week. Yeah. I mean, my wife went out on Saturday night, and I stayed in and made the micro details episodes of or. Clips, for micro. the podcast, yeah. the micro details. And micro the...
0: details for those of you who aren't aware are the YouTube videos of the que- answering the questions. Yes. So if you just want like straight up advice and helpful things, quick tips, quick tips, check those out. Yeah, and you don't want to listen to us babble on about whatever we're talking <laughs> about right now.
1: <laughs> I also put them into a playlist, so if you want to just. You know, put that baby on and just let it ride. Oh, that's kind of cool. Yeah. I can dig that. Oh, yeah. And you can see the development of our radio personalities or our podcast personalities. Oh,
0: from the very original one. Oh, yeah. Um, but, yeah, I did forget one update last week, which was I watched the Rams documentary. Mm. The Dieter Rams documentary by Gary Hurwitz? H- Her- Huswitz?
1: Hurwitz? Hey, I'll look it up for you. All right. Tell me about it.
0: He is the same guy that did the... A Helvetica documentary, and Objectified. Yes. And I would hope that everyone here listening to this has watched Objectified. If you haven't, Objectified is on Netflix. It is the quintessential industrial design movie.
1: Oh, yeah. And his name is Gary Hustwit.
0: Hustwit. Thank you, James. Mm-hmm. Um, and he took, I don't know, four, five, six years. I don't know the amount of years, but took a lot of years, and several trips to Germany to document Dieter Rams Rams' legacy of design. Yeah. And And it was good. It was good. It was a good documentary. <laughs> I feel like I feel like you expected me to say it was amazing, jaw dropping, inspirational.
1: Did yeah. I mean I guess the the question that is on everyone's minds because because Dieter Rams lore is so entrenched in the community already that The the question is: Did this documentary bring to light any any new things about his legacy? Or I
0: I will just I want to say one thing uh, for my mom that's listening: Dieter Rams. Oh yes, Dieter Rams is like Dieter Rams to industrial design is like the Beatles to music, right? Would you equate that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, Dieter Rams is the top.
1: Yeah, I can't I can't necessarily think of anybody anybody else. Um, I mean there's
0: plenty of star designers and famous designers, but Dieter Rams is really the one that's uh celebrated as you know the quintessential top refined industrial designer of of history
1: yes and 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 I would say you know one of the reasons that he is so um I, I don't know. He's like, he's looked back. Ab- he's looked back on as so revolutionary is because you can still see the influence of his work in modern day design.
0: Yeah, his work has been timeless. Apple has taken inspiration from it. Yeah. Um, but the Rams documentary was, it was great. I think it's interesting because it really shed light on Rams as a as a human in a way. It almost mm. humanized him a bit. Like, it kind of hmm. took him to, it kind of, like, peered into his life. Like, he's a very private person. There's not a lot of content about him. Right. Certainly not video content. I mean, there's books and things. But, um, he, you know, it's just, like, to see his, like, personality and really his just, his just like, his, like, there's one part in the documentary where he was working with, the the interesting thing that he was really stressing in the documentary too was that it wasn't only him. There's a lot of other designers that helped on some of these products. Right. Uh, for Braun, which was his main company, he worked for. Like Dieter Loves, I think was another guy that worked on a lot of products with him. But he would he, he was like 85 years old. It was his birthday party. He was walking around this exhibition because he invited all of his friends, and the new museum was up showing some of his work. And he was hanging out with his old designer friend that he had at Braun. And him and his designer friend were like, Oh, yo, you remember when we were trying to make this radio and the engineers said that we couldn't do this? So we just had to put a sticker on it. Remember that? (laughs) And they were just like laughing about like the mistakes they made on these, you know, uh, celebrated products that we see as almost, you know, untouchable in a way. Right. That, yeah. Yeah, it just kind of like put a more realistic look on the man. Like it, it just like brought him down to earth. Which I think is why maybe it wasn't like a, a dreamy, documentary. It was just like real. It was like whoa, like we're we're all we all can achieve this. Like we all yeah. can be
1: as great as Dieter. Yeah, he's he's just a guy.
0: Right. Exactly.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, obviously, a guy that had some sort of vision in mind. Yeah. Um, when he was because Braun... Braun was already an established company before he got there, wasn't right. it? Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think, uh, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I think his role, although he was involved in, in the design, he was sort of overseeing all of the products.
0: At some point for sure. He, he rose to the ranks, but he came in pretty young to Braun. Mm. He actually started out in architecture school. Yeah. Um, and actually, I believe at Braun, he was influenced by the designers before him. Right. Um, or or some, at some point, he was influenced by other designers that kind of instilled this ethos of less is better. Mm. Or whatever his good design is. Right. Less design is good design or something like that
1: well and and didn't it all come stem out of the like the germanic approach to design yeah. that was like started at the bauhaus and then yeah. he went to the was it the ulm what what's yeah there
0: were there i don't know exactly what school he went to but the the style is from the ulm school
1: yeah i think he went to the ulm school
0: i, I i'm not sure if he went there or the designers that influenced him went mm. there it was in the movie i i it was a great documentary It definitely was very informative and i really enjoyed it i'll say that definitely go watch it yeah he went to um, the old school okay and
1: yeah it was good yeah cuz i i feel like you know cuz the the whole less is more um, ethos and aesthetic really comes from designers who were were intimate with the industry right So, like, the idea of really celebrating the um, industrial process, you know, and just sort of adding no necessarily, like, decorative elements to anything. Right. Because if you're adding decorative elements to things, especially back in those days with the machinery that they had, that would have been extremely costly. Mm -hmm. Um, So they celebrated sort of, like, raw, more, like, raw materials. Like economical design. Yeah. Yeah um yeah it's that's cool i i'm i was a backer of the of the kickstarter um so i'm excited because i get i think i get a download of the movie when it's finally officially released
0: oh so i can come to your house and we can watch it again
1: (laughs) yeah and you like no spoilers nick uh another (laughs) i've already already
0: spoiled it for everyone listening.
1: (laughs) another cool factoid about the movie is that brian eno did the soundtrack and I don't know if you know who Brian. Did. I don't.
0: I don't know who he is, but I know a lot of people were freaking out, freaking out about it. Yeah, who he's
1: is he? he's a big time uh, producer. Okay. I mean, he, um, did he
0: does he produce for Kanye? Or?
1: <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if he's ever collaborated with Kanye. That's, that's actually a good question. But he um, he started out in a band called Roxy Music. Uh, I, this is from my recollection. He started out in a band Roxy Music, but then he became more of a producer. And he, like, he did a lot of production work for David Bowie back in the day. Um, But he's done, he kind of is known as the sort of, uh, he invented ambient music. He's, like, he is sort of, like, credited as the founder of ambient music.
0: Interesting. Okay.
1: Um, So he has, like, albums. Like, there's an album that is uh, sort of, uh, it's, a number of piano pieces that he did for an airport in i think it's in denver and it's like it's purely for background music and i think he also did the startup music for windows 95 <laughs> like he he like wrote that score you okay know, so- for for like the startup i get it okay so, that's
0: that's pretty awesome
1: yeah so he's really he's he's awesome but yeah.
0: I, I did want to touch on another thing about the Rams documentary, which was interesting. And I wish we would have touched on it before uh, last week because last week we did our Instagram episode. But right. Dieter Rams has gotten to this point now as technology has come out. he He's really struggling with, with the whole, uh, you know, glue to our phone addiction thing. And right. you know, he himself doesn't even own a cell phone. I think he might have a landline or something. Yeah. He's actually notoriously hard to get a hold of is what uh the, the director was saying. And I I think it's a very valuable point, like what what is design nowadays when we're designing apps and things and how you know, if the goal of a designer is to design the best experience and you are designing the best experience for an app, does that mean actually designing a a restrictive experience so you don't spend all day in the app? Mm. I've thought about this a lot, especially after watching this, this documentary. It was like, if the goal of a designer is to, you know, create this awesome experience where you keep wanting to do it over and over again, like Instagram, at what point does it become too much of a good thing?
1: Mm. Yeah. You know, what if, uh, here, here's an idea. Here's an idea. Instead of Instagram, being available every day of your life what if it was only available the first day of every month and you posted you posted what you did in that last month like you you took pictures you documented everything but you post what you did and then it's just like one day it's like almost like the purge it's almost like that movie the purge but it's like instead of you know killing people killing people it's like the first day of every month everybody posts and you check out everybody's post, and every- then it blacks out. And everyone, for the rest of the month,
0: everyone has to take that day off from work. Because <laughs> all they're doing is scrolling through a month. Okay, of photos. first
1: first Saturday of every month. First Saturdays.
0: Saturday. There goes my Saturday. First Saturday. Every month. Um, um, yeah. Well, I definitely recommend it. I know it'll come out eventually. I don't know the details. Sorry, guys. I'm sure that you can Google it. You don't it. know
1: the minor details?
0: No, because there's gonna be people being like, "Oh, where can I watch it, Nick?" And like I don't, I don't know. I just went to the movie theater and watched it.
1: Yeah, uh, yeah. So basically, what Nick is saying is, let me Google that for you. Um, so
0: yeah, you, you guys can figure it out. You guys are smart. yeah, you're designers.
1: <laughs> we oh, believe man. in the intelligence of our audience. Um, but uh, you know, do you think Dieter Rams would ever do freelance work? Do you think he's still, does he do, does he still design?
0: No, he's done signing.
1: He's done? No,
0: like, because the director got up there on stage and answered a lot of questions because it was the opening show. What Premier? do you call Premiere? Premiere. Yes. <laughs> Movie? <laughs> Is that a thing? Okay. Um, he got up on stage and was like, yeah, Dita Rams really just kind of just contemplates now. He goes and he sits in his office and thinks about his legacy and figuring out how to just spread his new ethos of design, which kind of involves the whole, how do we restrain ourselves from technology? And I don't know, how do you better better the world with design? Right. I think he, he, he there's a certain point in his mind that flipped where he went from like, oh, I'm designing all these products to, oh, wait, are these products actually bad for humanity? Mm.
1: Do you think, given that you are such a VR boy, uh, that... At some point, the technology, like, the apps and the technology are going to become so integrated into our lives that it's not even going to be, like, opening up an app. It's just going to be, it's just going to be there. Like,
0: like how our piece of furniture is here, Instagram will always be there. Because, yeah, if you're in VR, I mean, you could have just, like, the Instagram wall. Right. You know, you're, you're in your house, like, you know, cooking food or whatever, and then you look around the wall and there's Instagram. Right. That's kind of cool.
1: Yeah, you just have picture frames. You have like a bunch of picture frames on your wall, and they just populate with. That's with, a uh, good idea, James. With Instagram imagery. I like that. I like that. Um, but um, but yeah,
0: I don't. I don't know if Dieter Rams would freelance or not. But James was trying to segue into our topic. <laughs> 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 our
1: segue. Oh, thanks a lot. Uh, we you need... just reveal it. <laughs> Here goes need... the magic. We need some help on our
0: segue. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, you know we've been getting a lot of questions about freelance obviously it's a it's a definitely a big topic and something that we wanted time to really think about and frame it in the right way um, before we just dove straight into it it's it can be a, a, a tough topic to cover um so we want to we want to try to give it a shot today and talk about how we started freelancing how we rate uh, price ourselves and i don't know our opinions pros and cons
1: yeah you know, since Nick, I feel like you of of the two of us, you have been eager to cover this topic. So I am. I eager. feel like it would be better for you to start it off. Sure,
0: sure. I so yeah, I, I've been wanting to talk about this for a while now because um, I think it's important and a lot of people are interested in it. Um, I started freelancing a year ago, right? I mean, I moved to New York. I had a full time gig. Decided to quit my job. Mm-hmm. Call my dad and be like, hey, J- hey, dad i uh i quit my job i moved to new york i don't have a place to stay or a job yet but i'll figure it out and then hung up the phone really quickly so i didn't hear him yell at me (laughs) no no i'm I'm joking my dad was very supportive of me so i my my, i'm super grateful that my parents were supportive um but yeah i I got here and i actually was trying to find a full-time gig when i first got here Mm -hmm. and you know was looking around and Applying places and stuff. And in the meantime, obviously, was picking up small things here or there as I could. Right. And I started to realize, like, you know, becoming good friends with you and having you connect me with some of your people um, and starting to do some of these freelance jobs that are in the city, kind of like pseudo in-house jobs, right? Right. You're going into a place to do freelance um, that it was it was a viable way to to work a viable way to make a make a living absolutely and you know i think a lot of times people think of freelance as someone who kind of sits in their room and you know draws and works with clients over email and you know you're not making money that that, i think that's like the i don't know the stigma that i've seen is that freelance is kind of like the the secondary, it's like, oh, crap, I can't find a full-time job, so I'll just freelance. Hmm. But like, I, I, think, I think if you do it right, it's actually a really nice way because you can control your schedule. Yes. Um, so, yeah, started out, wanted to do full-time, and then kind of by accident, I decided that freelancing was more appealing.
1: Now, why did you want to do full-time?
0: Um, I think there was pressure. Yeah. I, I would say, yeah, I think when you quit your full-time job at a pet company and move across the country and you kind of want to like show your parents that like oh yeah i I can get a full-time job in new york too it's no big deal don't worry about me you know like um i think there's a little bit of pressure there you know I, i think that the pressure is different for everyone i know a lot a lot of people their parents could have been super upset and really pressured them to do different things or you know maybe shun them or something I don't know I know not everyone's family life is 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 everyone has a different story but yeah I I uh I don't know I think full time's easy too
1: Yeah freelance is difficult I am um, well I and I don't mean to like belittle the full time worker because I I think there's a lot of benefits to full time and oh, for and sure. there's a lot of drawbacks to freelance like you know, and vice versa. Like taxes, yeah, help. <laughs> <James>.
0: <laughs> They're coming. They're coming for me. April fifteenth, I'm going yeah. to jail.
1: <laughs> but it's funny the thing that you say about your dad yelling at you. I mean, there were there were things that my parents had given me advice about in terms of employment that, although I think, you know, and, and I don't want to I don't want to make this sound like I'm I'm saying that my parents gave me bad advice. Right. But.
0: Well, they never, they never want to give you bad advice. They're, they love you. you know? Right. They're trying to give you the best advice they can.
1: But I think like the economy that we're in and, and like the, like the job market that we're in is so different from the job market that they grew up in. right? Because, you know, I remember them telling me in my first job, kind of like, you know. Stick it, you, it out for five years. It out. Yeah. yeah. You should stick it out. And I kept seeing examples of friends of mine going against that advice and 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 landing fine. You know, that that they would figure things out the, otherwise. The
0: job market has changed definitely. Um I also think like it's it like stick it out and you know, work at some place for three or four years is still like a, a valuable thing. Like I think i mean i worked at the pet company for like two and a half years how long did you work at your kitchenware company three years and there's a ton that you can learn about taking an idea all the way through the production phase like sourcing and thing what you sourcing and and things like that which you don't necessarily get in the freelance no world
1: no i'm very grateful for the experience actually that i had at the full-time gig you Mm -hmm. know there were there were certainly ups and downs and to my parents' credit, there was a point where I was in a in a down phase, and they were like, "Well, maybe it's time to start looking for something else." Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't like they were they kept telling me like, "Stick it out, stick it out," you know. But um, there are there are certainly things that were incredibly valuable about the experience that I got in my full time gig, as well as the connections that I made there, which have impacted my freelance career entirely. Yeah. Um. You know, so uh, like I think that a full time gig can be incredibly valuable for for somebody just out of school because, you know, it's like we talk about school and there's like a certain madness and chaotic nature to school. Right. And it's and it's nice to have a little bit of a breather, like once you graduate and and you're in a full time gig to just be able to like relax for a second like and, 5 p.m and reflect
0: yeah i i 100 agree and i definitely think this is maybe something that we both agree on is that graduating from college i think you should get a full-time gig i don't think mm. you should because gra- there are a lot of questions that come in and i get them frequently too just on dm where it's like hey i'm graduating you know i, I was thinking about going full-time freelance work and it's it's freelance is hard it's not easy to do to you know manage clients or even get clients in the first place right um some people can do it i i don't want to say that you can't do it but you know like you said getting a full-time job after school is kind of like second school it's like you get to go to a school that'll pay you yeah and it's going to teach you all these things that you never learn at school you get to learn how to injection mold something i mean maybe you learned it Maybe you learned how to injection mold in school, but <laughs> let me tell you, you definitely did not. <laughs> um, and you needed, it, it, it's just such valuable. To ha- it's so valuable to have that knowledge. And then also like you were saying, making those connections. Um, I feel like maybe my connections weren't as valuable going from Texas to New York, just because of the distance. I still keep in contact with, with uh, a lot of my contacts in Texas, but right. it's not like I'm, getting a lot of freelance jobs through that past job yeah
1: but through your instagram hustle you made connections to new york yeah i mean that's what established the connection between you and i
0: yeah so that, so that's another way that i feel like is has been super beneficial to my freelance career is like building up this large community not only i'll, I'll rewind a bit i think i feel like I've been successful in sustaining a freelance freelance career because of the work I've previously done if you graduate with school and you don't have the the polished work where people are emailing you online and saying hey I want to work with you right then I feel like like I've never sought out a client Mm. clients have always come to me and said hey I have this project can can you give me a quote for it can can we work together
1: and they locate you through your Instagram.
0: It used to be Behance or my website. Okay. Um, now it's a lot more skewed to Instagram just because I feel like a lot more people on it using it and
1: yeah. See, I've I've rarely had that experience and I feel like that's that's a case where I'm not very good at demonstrating my skills.
0: Right. But you have the other way. You have the other thing, which is like charm. <laughs> <laughs> Connections.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, essentially that's how I had to build up my freelance network was was just um, mouth-to-mouth reputation. Uh, you know, uh, I it looks like I'm going to be starting a gig soon that was purely through somebody that I had freelanced with. You know, they got me in touch with a friend of theirs who needed an industrial designer. You know, it's... Once you get... If you're in a city like New York and you get into the community of designers within that, you know there's going there are going to be times where, you know that you're going to get the text out of the blue. That's like, hey, are you available right now? Yeah, yeah. Um, Which has happened to me uh, like a number of times. I
0: kind of feel like that's how you've worked for the past however many years. I mean, it seem it seems like you just keep getting new and new projects and you've never, I mean, you were telling me like after you let your, after you left your kitchen job, you haven't had a really a break from full-time gigs. You know, yeah. like, you've been going into all these other uh, places and doing consulting work and it, you haven't had a break, right?
1: Is that true? I, I just had a little bit of a break, which I thought was going to be a longer break until recently. Oh, right. Cause I stole your but. job, <laughs> right. but, but, um, but it didn't. It didn't last as long as I thought it was going to. Yeah,
0: I think. I mean, you've established yourself, so I don't think you would ever take. I don't think you would ever be during a break that you would not want. Like, if you want a break, James, I feel like you have to intentionally take it.
1: Right. And uh, and I was actually just kind of settling into the break and working on working on those personal projects. James, they sucked you back in, man. <laughs> But it that that is a that, that is a part of of this whole freelance thing is is like, you know, at some point there there's always this fear of of the uh, the market drying up or the opportunities drying up. and it and you feel you feel this need to pounce on every opportunity that comes your way. And there's not necessarily a good way of determining whether that's a good idea or a bad idea. I, um, I I mean, you would have to be really knowledgeable of your finances, you know, and, and just like really thoughtful about, you know, the, the future to be able to determine like whether, like, do I want to take this gig or don't I want to take this gig?
0: I struggle with that a lot because I do want to take on every single gig that's offered to me. Right. Um, but I also think that not everything is it, it, I'm not the best designer for everything. You know, if someone comes to me and they're like I want to design, you know, a fashion dress for my my, my <laughs> you know, whatever it is, my dog or something. I'm like <laughs> You know, yes, I worked in the pet industry, but I don't think I'm the best person.
1: You're, you don't think you're good at dog drapery? No. I could see you with like a little, <laughs> little canvas dog model, just draping fabric over it. I don't know, I, th- I see that in your future. I've gotten close to that, but <laughs>
0: to the dra- oh, yeah, we're not, yeah, um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. It's, I, I agree. There is this like gut feeling that's always trying to work because. You don't have a full-time job, yeah, and it does. It does put a strain on you. I I feel like in the past year, it's been it's been a hustle for sure. It's definitely I've worked a lot harder this year than I did in the past two years in Texas. Hmm. Um,
1: and has that been a good change? Do you think, or is it a mixed bag?
0: No, I think there's pros and cons. I kind of I kind of equate it to, um, you know, I came up here to New York because I wanted to. To explore new opportunities, to really push myself, and New York was like, "All right, here you go. Here's your new opportunities." And I'm like, "These are amazing." I I embrace these opportunities, but it's kind of like New York was just like, almost like dumping them on me, like <laughs> suffocating me in a way. And yeah, it it you know you can kind of get run, run up into the rat race a little bit right. with New York.
1: I think I think it's totally understandable, and and I would almost encourage. Taking on too much when you first start freelancing, okay? Because I think that that's that is the way. Because like you don't want to. I I think if there if the opportunities are coming in, take them and and then feel out how to manage them or if you can manage them. Like, of course, if you take on all of these projects, like even if it takes some all nighters or whatever, you can finish them. But I think. Like I, I don't know, this might be terrible advice, but but it it's almost like you can then start to figure out like what you can take on and and what you're capable of. And you know, there's always the option of of outsourcing. Like you could, you know, if you're if you feel like you're taking on too much, you could tap into another freelancer. That's another thing, is like as a freelancer, you should kind of be intimate with the freelance network around you of other freelancers right you know because because
0: because you know, if, if i can't do a job then i can be like hey james you want to do a job or you yeah just call up another another friend and be like hey i had this other had this client that needs this work done i can't take it on right now
1: right or you can even say like okay i want to manage this this job but like say you know somebody that's more junior to you as a freelancer you can say hey like want to help I, me out? Yeah, want to help me out? Like, let's work on this together. Yeah, and then you just you just put that into the pricing, mm-hmm. you know, of your freelance work. That's totally viable as well.
0: Um, I think. Well, we had a question come in, and from Jimmy.design. Design. I think this might be a good a good segue to um, kind of talk about like the nitty gritty and how we kind of work with our clients, price them out, do quotes and things like that, because. It's a common question, like, how do you price yourself? Jimmy was saying, I've been on and off the freelance life for a little bit, and I'm not sure what I should charge and slash could charge, and how should I go about dealing with this stuff? And what do you guys think about that? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, yeah, I mean, we James and I have discussed this a lot. Money is definitely a, a – could be a taboo subject, and, you know, it it's something that I – I feel open about, um, not everyone does, so I won't make anyone say any numbers, but I, I think there is a system that we can kind of create to, I don't know, help you guys figure out what, what you should charge for client work. Right. And I know you've had, you've given me some advice, especially when I first moved here.
1: Yeah. And, and I, and I handed down advice that Mm. I got from, um, uh, actually a designer that i worked with at quirky his name is Adam pascal um and i i just asked him like how do you rate yourself how how do you put a price on your work um and you know there's there's sort of like two different ways that you can that you can quote you can quote for hourly or you can quote for the project right and a lot of times you know i I leave it up to the client okay. to decide that. Yeah. A lot cuz just in my experience the client will either ask for a full project quote or they will say what's your hourly rate. Right. Um but but yeah, he he even said in his original message like clients aren't always into that because it incentivizes you to go slower. Yeah. Our,
0: hourly is like, "Oh, well, I could do this project and if I worked really slow, maybe I could drag it out for yeah. three months.
1: <laughs> but then again, like if you're working outside, if you, if say you're picking up freelance outside of your day to day job, then I would price myself higher and work like either work in an hourly or or quote high, because like, especially if it's like a rush job right. or something like that, that's something that you have to consider. Like, is is this project is this project a rush or, or is it, do you have some time built into it? Mm-hmm. Um, but he got into the nitty gritty and said, um, you know, figure out what you would want from a salary job and then add the cost of insurance. Um, and then like the cost of taxes. Right. So cause, like 30- Cause there's no,
0: there's no benefits when you're freelancing. So you have to include that. We, I mean, we have to, I mean, I have to buy my insurance. I don't know about you, James, but
1: Right. I uh, I actually am on my wife's health insurance. Nice. nice. Get married, freelance. <laughs> there, there you go. There's your tip. Get married. Um, but uh, but yeah, I think you should cushion in those kind of costs into your rate. Right. Uh, consider that you know at the end of the year, like a good chunk of that is going to go out to taxes, especially if you're living in New York City. Yeah. Um, and then he said, assume you're working 70%, 70% of your free time. So, uh, you know, you can afford to not be working 30%. So like, you know, basically price it out
0: that because 30% of the time you're trying to find clients or maybe you're doing like administrative tasks. Like, like if you're, if you have to take a day off to, I don't know, because you're sick or maybe because you have to travel. I mean, you don't get vacation time when you're a freelancer, you know?
1: And then he added he added this note to it, which I think is really valuable, which is you should assume that any customer will try to haggle you down. You know, it's a negotiation.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: So you should always start high. Like, always start higher than than you think. Yeah. And especially if you... <laughs> I've been in situations where I don't necessarily want the job. Like, I don't need the job. I don't want the job. So I will... I will go much higher than I normally You'll say would
0: say an absurd absurd number yeah
1: yeah and and then negotiate down from that because like if I don't get this job I'm totally fine right you know and uh, and I mean that is th- honestly actually that's that's kind of a good way to approach freelance in general I agree mm mm-hmm because I have I've threatened to like walk away from a project like a week before it started because I thought the rate was way too low and and they came back and like met me where I was where I was asking for.
0: Yeah, and and I mean I think there is a good a lot of good rule of thumb for your friends your friends rule. Um I, for me I I've taken that rule and I've kind of embodied it, but I have also like add on a bit of my my thoughts
1: let me hear what you baked into that what i
0: my my nick baker (laughs) baked in prices easy Um, baker oven so you've introduced me to the hourly rate thing i've always priced my my design work as project based Mm. um and i i try to do that even if someone asks for my hourly rate but when you go into work in the city like inside a, a company like you go in and you sit in there at their desks and work with them, I think hourly is fine. Um, But if you're, you know, consulting with a a client and they, you know, want you to design X product because they're, you know, they have a Kickstarter for their new bottle opener. (laughs) You know, they want you to design the new bottle opener. That's when you base project um, for a couple reasons. I think if you price it right, you're giving them a lot more value um, and, and you're getting paid well you never want to price a project rate way too low that you know let's say you priced a project for three thousand dollars and then you worked for uh i don't know 600 hours what is that 50 dollars an hour (laughs) 600 hours is five dollars an hour (laughs) i don't really know uh you never want to you never want to run out of you always want to make sure your project rate is the correct rate and this is how i figure that out so what you do, you have a new client. They want you to design a bottle opener. So you sit down. and You're like, okay, how long will it take me to design a bottle opener? Well, let's see. Maybe eight hours of sketching, um, eight hours of CAD. Um, you know, five hours of CMF color finish. You know, color material finish. And then let's say you know you have three hours of meetings with the client, right? So let's say that rounds out to like thirty hours, right? Now, that's what you wrote down. But here's the trick: you double it, because it always takes you twice as long to do <laughs> all those things. So you get sixty hours, right? It takes you sixty hours to design this ball opener, and and you take those sixty hours and you times it by your suggested hourly rate, and you can really the hourly rate thing. How you figure that out? I mean, Coreflot has a great guide onto how freelancers price themselves and the salaries of of things but there's a lot of factors that go into your hourly rate and how you price yourself not only is it what city you live in um you know if you live in a a expensive city like san francisco or new york you have to price yourself higher right um but also think about supply and demand do you need this project like you were saying james like are you working full-time at a company and you're just doing this project in your free time well your free time should cost money I mean, this is your free time. Yeah. You don't need this money. This is like, you know, if if a client wants to work with you, price it high. Um, So, yeah, you times that by your hourly rate, and then you get your your project quote. Um, I'll I'll divulge my hourly rate. Uh, I am in anywhere from, like, 80 to, like, 120. Mm -hmm. But please be reminded that that is in New York City, and I'm also... It's a supply and demand game, right? yeah if if one client says no this is too high that's okay there's plenty of other clients
1: right right you just you don't necessarily the it's a delicate dance because you also don't want to um leave a bad taste in their mouth of like of like oh well we can't we're not gonna like hire that it's
0: it's tough you know it's you know you never want to come off as like someone who like is too good for a project like that right um, but also you have to understand like your time is valuable you know, you don't want to just give away your, I mean, this is your life. Yeah. That's how, that's, this is how life works. Yeah. You trade your time for money and
1: Absolutely. how much is your time worth? And I think, um, you know, the other thing is, uh, oh gosh. I, I think the other thing is, is if you are very honest with your client about like, how like your thought process behind how you're pricing? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I I've specified to clients like since this is a rush job and and all of the, and I'm going to be working hours, you know, outside hours or even weekend hours or whatever. Right. This is why I priced it here. Right. And I, I think that I think that's a really good way of managing that relationship is just being transparent and honest about like why why you're pricing something a certain way because it might come across as like f- much more expensive than they're than they're used to but I think they're also very aware of like you know somebody's been given a task of like you need to you need to finish this by this time and and like even if you need to hire a freelancer like we have this budget for this like you need to you need to be honest about like yeah, this is gonna take time away from, like my life. Right. And, and, and so, and, and times that I normally would not be working and just be honest and transparent about it. I think there is, there's like, I hate to like be like the, oh, honesty is the best policy type person. But I do think that, like, as much as you can have an honest relationship with your client without divulging too much, but like enough to be. Enough to be like, you know, transparent enough to have established a good relationship with them, and I, I and an agree, honest relationship with them. Then, like, there's, there's also respect that is built between you and the client, and uh, yeah, that's that's going to pay dividends in the long run.
0: I, I definitely agree. You know, clients, great ones are hard to come by. Like, clients are. Like managing clients, especially when you do like remote work and things like that, it's a little easier when you get to go into a company and kind of join the the company as a whole. But when you're just yourself managing a client that's, you know, trying to do this Kickstarter ball opener, sometimes it's a little tough. You know, maybe the client doesn't quite understand design or doesn't understand the process. What I like to do is I like to. Lay out kind of the milestones, and I also pr- like break down the prices. So if my, you know, if I quoted this bottle opener, it's going to cost me five thousand dollars to design. I'll divvy up the prices into you know four or five sections of like, all right, you know, give me a thousand dollars to start the project. I'll do some concept sketches. We'll refine those concept sketches by this date, and then you know three days later, here is your deadline to give me feedback, mm. and then. When do you give me feedback, I'll do another round of concept sketches, that'll take me another week, and then feedback some more and then you'll pay me another thousand. And then you kinda like you kinda do step by step.
1: You ask for money up front.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, when I do my remote clients, like project based clients, I'll I'll break it down in kind of step by step format because not only does it give them again that honest look at the process and the timeline, but it also gives me a goal to, to work towards, like, Oh, I said, you know, back when we started this project in that email or, you know, document, it said that I was supposed to do this concept sketch by, you know, October 20th. Right. And by the way,
1: I got to get on that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, I actually would love to see that breakdown. You want to see that? Because I'm not used to, to uh, quoting things by project. Right. I'm used to hourly rates. And, like, there's not really a good resource. To look at for how to break down like an entire project quote
0: right i kind of generally i break it down into two phases you have concept phase and cad phase Mm -hmm. you know concept phase is all about sketching coming coming up with the idea cad phase is all about taking the idea that you and your client decided on and executing on it you know printing it out testing it if you need to refining the the measurements the weight whatever it is um, those are my two main phases and then eventually i turn over the design to the client and that you got to have that key point where it's like i am designing this product and the final deliverable is a 3d file and you know a pdf of how it's supposed to look right, right. you never want to say like oh yeah he yeah i'll design the product let me know if you need anything, like, <laughs> because because they're going to get, especially if it's your Kickstarter bottle opener person, you know, your Joe Schmo who wants to just make a bottle opener, they're going to get to the final design, and you're gonna you're gonna help them design the product, but they don't know how to make the thing, right? Like, what are, what are they going to do next? Are they going to go to a manufacturer? Like some people don't understand the the work that goes into product development, right? Right. Especially right after you design the product. I mean, we we talked about this on a podcast, right? Mm-hmm. There's a whole other next step to design of you finalize the design but wait how do you make the thing
1: yeah and that was something that um dave joseph was talking about when, when we interviewed him on major details after the pod
0: yeah we, we do the live if you guys don't know about the live stream it's kind of hard to catch
1: it's elusive major <laughs> details
0: uh we've never shouted out our instagram there is an instagram called minor details pod
1: have we shouted that out? I don't know if we have. I mean, we've certainly shouted it out on our Instagrams, but right. we haven't shouted it out on the podcast.
0: Well, you know, we have started to bring in guests on the live stream, and we talked to Jave Joseph, who is... Jave Joseph? <laughs> Dave Joseph. <laughs> <I'm> sorry. <laughs> He's doing some, some kind of Kickstarter work for this company he founded called Ovi. It's like a Tupperware. Oh, it's
1: a funded Kickstarter. Smart he's, Tupperware. Yeah. So it's already finished. Oh, yeah.
0: So he, he's working through the sourcing phase now.
1: And, you know, his point, which was, which was one that is very valid and one that I think sometimes as freelancers, you won't get as much involved in is the production phase. And because yeah. as a freelancer, sometimes you just kind of turn over the design intent. Yeah and that's that's the last time you kind of like wave you kind of hug your kid goodbye as it goes to college
0: and then it, it if it ever comes back it'll look completely different
1: <laughs> it has like a beard right and if it ever comes back yeah um like so that's the thing is like great products that's this is kind of the double edged sword of freelance it's like you you get to work on a lot of diverse products and 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 i almost feel like you know, it's something that probably design firms often experience because I can see freelance evolving. It's like it's stage one Pokemon, uh, <laughs> and stage two is is consultancy. Yeah, you know, because yeah. eventually, if if you're taking on too what's many, what's stage three? Oh, I don't know, smart design, Dita Rams, yeah. I mean, it's like it's it's a consultancy that then embeds themselves into a larger company, oh. you know. Because mm. I I know that Smart a, Design has a relationship with Oxo, and like Fuse Project had, you know, they they were like
0: oh, they made their own. Yeah. Fuse Project launched a few things. I mean, you have but they're August but they're, you have they're
1: owned by January. like a a Chinese communications company.
0: Oh yeah, I think they recently sold. Are I, they? That was a recent thing. I have to look back at that article. Yeah. I think Yus uh, Bahar was talking about it, but.
1: But anyway, um, you know, uh, the quality is really during that. Like, when great products are solidified is during that production phase. And you have to have, like, a really great quality team. Did you just finish the wine? Sorry, James. Here, here, here. I Unbelievable. No, okay. we're not sharing wine. I cannot believe this. I'm this sorry. whole podcast, I've had such a good time talking about freelance. And then... <laughs> Nick Baker just drains the well. I just apologize. completely.
0: I, I, I don't know what was what I was thinking.
1: Oh my gosh, but anyway, the production phase is when great products are made and I
0: hundred percent agree with that, and that's one thing I do miss about in-house is that I don't know i don't I don't feel like it can have a lot of control anymore
1: and that's why you start things like almost object right. or you know I like I'm side I, projects yeah and and you you take your own ideas all the way through
0: which is kind of like the one of the pros i think of freelance is that you can do these side projects or pursue your own kind of endeavors or passions at whim right do you have it like what's your one pro to industrial design to kind of like wrap up this to freelance yeah industrial design consult
1: freelance yeah whatever sorry <laughs> this is, is this wine is pretty good it's good it's good wine um but uh do you have a pro my pro is that i think we kind of talked about this when you stole my job was that like um it's it's nice because when you're when when you're finished with a project or when you're no longer needed you don't have to stick around like you you don't have to stick around and wait for your next assignment. Right. You know, twiddling your thumbs. Yeah, which which could come at any time. And and you know, I'm able to walk away from things when I feel like my job is done and like I can move on to the next project. And I can I can also take take vacation when I need it.
0: Yeah, I would say that's the pro. It's not that you can make. I I feel like if you. If you work it right and you work really hard, you might be able to make more money than you could in house right um but I think the real pro is that you have freedom yeah to do to schedule your life
1: i I would actually go as so far as to say that doing freelance has has increased my like happiness a, well happiness it level? has reinvigorated my passion for design oh. because like being in-house you can like i've just seen i've seen so many designers get sort of jaded by in-house design Mm. because it is like the day-to-day and the nine-to-five and yeah you can get in that grind and and, like i think that i don't know that's not all designers and that's not all designers in-house because in-house can provide you with the opportunity to really like detail out of design but I think being able to be a freelancer and to and to be able to carve out time to work on my own like interests it's very freeing it is very freeing and it and it just like allows me to to cultivate that enthusiasm for design yeah that um I could see if I were still working a full-time gig and Maybe I will in the future. Who knows? But um, working a full time gig, I could see myself just kind of like checking out as soon as I walk out of the office.
0: Yeah, that's that's a good point. Yeah, I don't know. I I think maybe I do want to just end this in the fact that freelance is still hard. I know we. W- I feel like you and I have been.
1: We're romanticizing it right now. Yeah,
0: we we're romanticizing it, and we've also been. You know, pretty lucky to make these connections and have a steady, steady stream. But it's definitely not easy. No, definitely not easy. I met a like I said, I've worked the hardest I've worked since school. Like it's, I feel like I'm back in school again in terms of work level. So, you know, I I just want to make sure that we equal out the playing field here of of the freelance lifestyle.
1: Yeah, and I don't mean to to cut into your final summation. No, what's your final? You have a final summation. I too? I did meet I did meet a freelancer at one of the gigs that I was working at and he was telling me like, "Oh man, I'm just so happy to like be working somewhere because for a year I was having trouble finding another job."
0: Yeah. I think you and I are both both lucky, but also we've worked really hard to make these connections and also build up build up a, a community on Instagram and it like you guys ha- need to remember, like I posted every day on Instagram for a whole year. That was so hard to, right. to work a nine, eight, eight or nine hour job and then come home and work another three hours on my Instagram. That was a 12 hour day. Yeah. So I, I feel like you and I both worked our way up to this level and it just takes a lot of work to get here. Um, but yeah, I don't know. They're, yeah, they're... don't
1: expect to be sprinting out of the gate. Right, takes a lot of takes a lot of building up. I think uh, I think Nick, we have. <sighs> uh, do we have time for one question? For one more question?
0: Yeah, maybe. Should we pick an easy question? Let's. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I feel like that was a, a a really really good topic. I think this anonymous question might be pretty easy. Okay, let's do that. Uh, one. uh anonymous asks.
0: Yeah, we we had someone. They're not. Their name is not anonymous, but
1: no. Um. But they ask, I'm currently in design school. I never took art classes in high school, and now I'm trying to make up for my lack of sketching experience. Any advice for better line work, perspective, lighting? Any stories uh, about you guys uh, struggling in design school?
0: Okay, So, so this person didn't do much art in high school or when they're younger, but now they're in design school. I don't know if I could... I mean... Me, I, I personally did a ton of art in like elementary and high school right I don't know about you James yeah did you do I
1: had I did the art major in high school okay uh, oh, but, no. <laughs> but I was I was a total
0: so it didn't it didn't help you I, time,
1: I did not I was not a good student okay and but uh, yeah
0: I the one thing I will say is like perspective line work lighting. If you know, if you understand how things, like, you understand the basics of these sketching tools, it just takes practice. Like, don't get discouraged because you just have to work on it for a whole year or two. Right. Like, you never, like, when you learn perspective, you're not just going to learn perspective and then start drawing 100% perspective drawings. Like, it just takes time and practice. Yeah. That's my best, that's my best advice. I know that's not the advice that everyone wants to hear, but it's just practice, you know.
1: Yeah, it's interesting because I actually found that my experience with drawing and with art classes like had been almost a like almost a detriment to my ability to take up design sketching because I came into it thinking like I understood perspective and I understood like how to like how to draw and right. how to communicate and it's just it's a totally it's a very different form of drawing which is completely about communication for sure and um i mean even though i had taken art classes and everything i like i took every sketching exercise that we were given very seriously and like i I think i've told the story before but we had to fill out we had to do 500 pages of sketching exercises for our first semester of design sketching which was just like parallel lines and I would come in every night and do 10 pages like yeah. a lot of people were at the end of the semester <laughs> trying to like do 500 in one night and
0: James you're the smart one
1: and I was you know I was just like I, I'm gonna do this like I like I felt very fortunate to have found the major that I had always been looking for and so I was I was enthusiastic to just get into it and I think like, like any, you know, just, just, it's a daily practice. It's a muscle that you have to develop. It's like, it's like running a marathon. Yeah.
0: It's just like working out or I, I agree. It's like, you're not gonna, like, if you wanted to get muscle, like if you want to get buff, Yeah. right, you're not gonna go learn how to get buff and then say, Hey, I'm buff now. or <laughs> Or, Hey, why aren't I buff? I learned how to get buff. Right you gotta just do it like you gotta work on it
1: yeah and once you once you start to make gains you you don't you don't just like you gains don't just,
0: with gains with a z yeah
1: once you start to get swole you don't just like you don't just swell on your own you have to keep going right. you have to keep right. you have to keep uh keep at it and so i think it's just a daily exercise like if it's something that you are really passionate about developing for yourself Like this is a routine that you need to put like build into your daily life. And I've talked about it a lot, but I'm a big advocate for continuous line sketching, especially because I think it's about observation. And um, I think it's a good way because continuous line sketching is sloppy in its in like in its essence. And I think that one thing that holds back a lot of design students is they are so afraid of putting down the wrong line.
0: Oh, that's kind of interesting. I I will say one thing about that is that in order to go in order to be sloppy but good, I think you have to be good first. You know how you know how Picasso's paintings look like a bunch of like strokes and random cubes and you're thinking to yourself, "Well, I could do that." This is just <laughs> a, like this is like a 3-year-old can do this, right? Well, what a lot of people don't know is that Picasso was actually an amazing painter before this. Mm-hmm. He could paint really realistic faces and portraits and landscapes and all these things. And at a certain point, he's like, well, why do I have to paint these realistic? Why can't I expand my horizons and communicate the same information, maybe even you know, an improved emotional information.
1: But I think what you don't get from that history is the struggle he went through to get to mastery. Yeah. So I I I feel like there's there is beginner sloppiness up until mastery and right. then there's the like beyond mastery is the point where you can start breaking the rules. Right. And where you can do sloppy Again. like the right way. Exactly. So uh like I just I think that the blank sheet of paper can be so intimidating for be- for beginner design sketchers. And I remember Joe Ballet, the guy who taught Reed and I and our class, the form families, he did a sketch demo where the first thing he did was to scribble onto the page. And he said, like, the page is not, like, don't treat it like it's pure, <laughs> basically.
0: just I like, love that.
1: I love you that. Know. So I I would say, like, just, just jump into it. Start rough and refine.
0: Yeah. Well, thanks for sending that in. That was a good question. Mm-hmm. If you have questions yourself, feel free. Email at minor details podcast at gmail.com. Um, of course, every week we like to shout out someone who is doing cool things in design. And this week we want to shout out Fed Rios.
1: Oh, man. And that is at Fed Rios Design. And... Uh, he, I, I met Fedri. Did you meet Fedrius at Square One?
0: Yeah, he helped with my VR demo, which was awesome. Thanks, thanks for that, Fed.
1: Yeah, how did he help out? Well,
0: he was just helping out shaman.
1: Um, but he, um, I don't know when he came on the scene, but he just has the most like lively but tight, like did- his sketching style.
0: There's a good style that you got fed. I mean this this uh th- these sketches are they're just like an energy to them and I can't pinpoint why or how but you know maybe it's just the pen weight, the line weight, I don't know. Line weight's really nice. If you guys want some like good industrial design sketching with some good energy, check out Fedrias design cuz
1: yeah, I just, I mean, I'm a sucker for good line work, and, and this is some really beautiful line work.
0: James and I are just scrolling through right now. It's just yeah. So good. <laughs> so good. And he
1: actually, you know, his second post um, for Anonymous is Fedrio's doing sketching warm-ups. And he just he just goes through and does all this line work before he ever starts sketching. And, you know, it's like anything else. It's... You know any sport you might do. It's like the 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 jog beforehand or yeah any sort of warm up. Um, it's great to see a designer of this caliber still going through these warm up exercises, and it's just an indication of like this is kind of the seriousness that you need to approach design with. Yeah, uh, and I really appreciate that about Fedrios. Like he's an incredible designer, but he's still. He's still engaged in the everyday practice of, like, of the diligently, you know... Uh,
0: honing. The, honing yeah, the skills.
1: Diligently honing those skills. Yeah. So, um, yeah, definitely check him out. It's at Fedrios Design, and that's F-E-D-R-I-O-S Design um, on Instagram.
0: Yeah. Um, well, thanks for listening, guys. Of course, our intro and outro is by Kiyoshi the Kid. What's Which- and uh you gotta subscribe to the youtube you gotta subscribe to the itunes or the apple podcast i guess itunes is dead now isn't it, is google, it? google play <laughs> i guess itunes is still. i there. really want to know apple our like,
1: google play numbers
0: all i know is that itunes is a thing that you that always pops up and then it's like hey we need to update
1: but what are our google play numbers well, <laughs> i like for all we know we have crazy numbers on google play
0: maybe i don't i've never checked those numbers <sighs> nick i need it we i've been i was telling james i think we should do a uh, google forum get some like qualitative data yeah on you guys listening to this we'll we'll figure it out i don't mm-hmm. know um rate like subscribe all those all those good things
1: <laughs> you wrote all that jazz and you've never <laughs> said it
0: all that jazz
1: yeah um
0: and uh i'm at nick p baker
1: and i'm at i draw receipts peace out guys later